Good afternoon. We want to welcome everybody to our Friday edition of Coffee in Conversation. So in the time it takes you to have a cup of coffee with a friend, um, we just want to talk a little bit, um, have a conversation with our guests here at the district office, and, you know, maybe give you a little insight into how we do things, what we're doing, and why we do what we do. So we want to welcome two really special guests today. Um, We have Don MacArthur, who is our longest serving board member currently, and Charlene Maisie, who is our newest board member. So we want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, so um, this is not Charlene's radio debut, but Don, is it yours? Have you done radio before? Uh, Not that I recall. I've done TV, though. Does that count? Well... Okay. <laughs> Not as radio, no. <laughs> that, that may be a one-upsmanship. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I've never done it again. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so again, I just want to thank you both for giving up part of your Friday morning to come in and have this conversation. Um, so let's kind of dive right in. Um, you know, everybody has a, um, a reason for stepping into a, to an area of service. And in this community, you know, being on the board is a huge area of service because we are a single district County, which means that every school in our district and every school in our County falls under your purview. Um, whether that is USA, which is chartered by the district or Castle Rock, which you directly oversee as a County board or the, the, um, other 11 district schools. So why did you, and either one of you go. We, we don't necessarily have to take turns. Um, why did you choose to say, you know what, if I'm going to serve our community, one thing that is important to me is serving on a school board? I, I mean, I thought about this a little bit because I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, my uh, initial I, I've always been interested in schools and in education at some degree, and that's what my graduate sc- uh, training was in uh, through an education department. Um, but uh, what I was doing at the time was I was working for mental health and working with kids that were in trouble of some kind in the mm-hmm. hall and in through the what's now the community day school. Mm-hmm. And um, whenever it seemed like whenever I was working with a kid that was desperately need in need of adult supervision, uh, they were in some sort of non-seat charter. They weren't in a regular school, and I couldn't figure out what had become of the uh, uh, educational system that the kids that were most in need of supervision were not were the ones that weren't getting it until they finally wound up in the uh, ultimate supervision. <laughs> People telling them all the time what they needed to do and right. not do. Yeah. Uh, so I was kind of intrigued by that and. Um, and then the just the whole process of how how the sausage is made and how educational policies developed was kind of intriguing to me. So, Don, how long have you been on the school board? Uh, I was elected in ten, to the, so almost ten years. Ten years, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. a decade of your life. <laughs> <laughs> it remains to be seen whether it's the best. <laughs> so, Charlene, what about you? Um, you know, I. I have a lot of stuff kind of going around in my head, but I I went through Del Norte schools from eighth grade to through high school, graduated mm-hmm. from Del Norte High. 
Um, and I chose to come back after college to Del Norte County and make it my home and raising my son here. And so how to improve the lot of Del Norte County and the people who make it their home has been very important to me. Mm-hmm. I've been in human services for uh, since the mid 90s. Um, and it has always struck me that the schools are what touch on almost every person in a community, whether you have kids or not. Um, either you have kids in the school system or you have um, the kids that are going through the school system are going to be the ones that are making decisions for um, your life when they come out of the school system. So it is the it, it is really the the kind of the that space that everybody touches. Um, and if you're going to make interventions that help improve the lives of people, that's a, a, gr- a huge place to start. And I am a problem solver. If I see something that I think can be done better, I like to dig in and um, try to see, you know, creative solutions. Mm-hmm. I like thinking, um, you know, just because we've always done something a certain way, we don't have to do it that way. And I think education can sometimes be rooted in we've always done it this way. We've always done it this way. Um and then my son started school. Mm-hmm. And so I I kind of saw firsthand some of the things that I thought needed to be addressed on a school level. And um, I ran for the office in 2016, and I came in second. And so when this opportunity came up to be appointed, um, I kind of got back into that and, and put my hat in the ring, and it got picked up. And here you are. And here I am. So, um, you know, you, you both come at it from different perspectives. Um, and Don, did you want to add something else? Oh, I was just going to say, I agree. And I think that the schools are the linchpin of everything in a society. Uh, you know, a doctor goes through a school and, a, a nurse and, and, uh, all the people that we rely on, the police officers, the whoever, they, we all have an educational experience. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in my experience, people have really conflicted relationships to schools and that comes out in how they, um, uh, it's based on their own history, but mm-hmm. it comes out in how their kids, how they relate to the people who are relating to their kids. And it gets to be a very complicated mixture. And it's just it's fascinating to me. Well, and, you know, and you just brought up something there that. So so think about this. And, I, you know, this is the thing that I look at sometimes. And it's really a conflicting view of schools. Um, we've got some kids who go through the process who they love it. Right. I mean, elementary, they are. In mm-hmm. middle school, they're, you know, they're on high school. Those are their glory days. They run, you know, and then they go off to college or career after high school. Different folks take different paths, um, but school really worked. We have other people who go through the pro- process and they actually have some sort of educational PTSD, right? I mean, they've, they've mm-hmm. gone through it and it's like, oh my gosh, I hated it. I didn't like going. Mm-hmm. I don't like... From from your perspectives, and here again, we're, we're not looking for a scientific rationale or anything else, but what, what do you think may contribute to that? Well, I think it's because we, we tend to go for a one-size-fits-all educational model. Um, you know, my son has autism, and so he does not fit the typical kid role in any way, shape or form. And in a lot of ways, I didn't going through school either. But the classes are all taught at the same level for every kid, you all go through the same grades, you all have the same teachers. 
and it's good for social integration. Um, it's not necessarily good for meeting the specific educational needs of individual kids. And so for me, that's what I mean by thinking out of the box and not being in this rut of, well, we always stick 30 kids in a classroom and teach them all the same thing at the same time in the same way. Um, we need to be looking at what is that kid who's who's successful in that model, let's give him that model. But if you have the kids that aren't successful in that model, or it is creating stress for them, we need to figure out a way to educate them and support them in a way that works for them. No, I agree with that. And um, uh, I think to, to, to get back to your question, too, uh, I think that a lot of what conditions a kid's uh, relationship to the schools is what their parents' relationships had been when they were going through. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's difficult to disentangle uh, the parent relationship with the child relationship. And I'm doing that from, I, I used to counsel people and I would counsel people who um, we were dealing not just with the, the kid's resistance to whatever was happening in school, but to the parent's resistance to what the kid was going through. And so it became a very... Uh, tangled web um so all of that feeds in but i agree i mean some people go through i you know myself my own experience of going through school i was kind of indifferent to it i did it because that's what everybody was doing and um um i can't say that i was all that interested in it except in those specific aspects that were outside the box where i had instructors or classes that were really intriguing to me right. captured my interest well, and I, I think I've shared with both of you, my dad didn't graduate high school, you know, ended up going back and getting his GED years later. I mean, I, I, I was old enough to watch him studying for his GED. Um, and then when he was in his 50s, he had always wanted to go to college. Now, he made sure my two sisters and I did, but he had always wanted to go. So in his 50s, he went back and he got his uh, BS in business. Um, so, you know, education was important to him, but he didn't get it and he didn't like school. Um but, you know, he really made sure that we all participated. And I'm going to agree with you, too, Don. It, it, I wasn't that interested going through. I, I was, you know, with my teachers, I was like, just tell me what you want me to do. Let me do it. Let me turn it in and then let me get on with what was going on. But I had some phenomenal teachers that I think kept me engaged in what that process was. Um, so... You know, from that perspective, as we go through, and I think that's an interesting point, too, because, you know, as we've talked to our um, families down at Klamath and we've talked to some of our uh, American Indian families through different processes that we've utilized um, from some of our families who have actually gone through school here. Right. They they have had such negative historical um, uh, experiences, I think, at, at a school or with a teacher or a principal at a school. And I'm talking back in the fifties, sixties, seventies. Um, what, what do you think a family could do? What, what could, what could parents do to help change that trajectory for their own child? I mean, that's a hard question, right? If you could answer that and get it all in one sentence, then you could, you know, make a million dollars on that book. <laughs> Well, I think, and actually, from my perspective, I think um, it is what the t the school and the family can do, and the the school has to, I think, um, be responsible for the invitation to participate, and then the family has to um, find a way to figure out what education is for 
what, what they expect to achieve by engaging in it and then engage with it. The, the invitation comes from the school just as a professional responsibility, but then the, 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 the family responsibility is to step up and, and figure out how to uh, support their child in that. And not everybody is able to do that in the same way. So I think it falls upon the professional community to assist that and uh, to facilitate what the what the child needs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no magic to it. I think it's just hard work and engagement. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. The the intergenerational issues will will cut across any human service that you if you're talking child welfare, if you're talking domestic abuse, if you're talking right. school, attitudes towards school, anything that you look at. Um, and that's part of the problem when you're trying to do upstream intervention is how far upstream you have to go. Mm-hmm. Because everything is is how you were raised, how you learned to interact with the world is going to pass down to how you teach your kids to interact with the world. And so there, the work has to be done with the families and I think that I, that idea of what good is education, um, you know, historically Del Norte County was resource-based jobs that you didn't have to have an education to go out and get a good paying job in the mills or on a fishing boat. And that is largely not available anymore. And so education is more important than it used to be, but that's, that's not that far in the past. And some people still haven't figured out that connection between I have to value education now. Um, you know, my dad worked in the lumber mills, so mm-hmm. it hasn't been that far ago that you could do that. And so um, part of it is helping families see something beyond their own experience. And that's hard work. And you have to be willing to to go and meet them where they are and have that conversation about what was your experience right. in the fifties. And it was horrific for some of, some of our native population. And so um, it's not something that a lot of people can understand unless you sit there and say, okay, this is your experience. We value that. How do we make that different for your kids? Right. And, and I think, you know, and going back to, going back to my parents, I, I think I was extremely lucky. Again, my mom graduated high school. Like I said earlier, dad didn't. My grandparents, at least on my dad's side, didn't graduate or eighth grade was like the top. Um, it, it was a different world. They, they were in logging. They did different things. Um, my dad ultimately got into the oil business and his motivation for me was you're going to go to college. If you go into the oil business, you're going to pay me back every cent that I spent on your college. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I think it's finding your way, too, because when I went to college, I went in as pre-med. Never intended to go into public education. Um, it was something that kind of evolved. Um, totally different story. It's, yeah. But um, um, yeah, so, you know, that's what I see, too. I see a lot of our kids who struggle um, because they don't want to. This is a beautiful place. They don't want to leave. Their families are here, have been here for generations. They're, they're tribal youth whose tribes are anchored here and rooted here. Um, we have our Hmong families who have emigrated here. You know, we have all of our all of our students um, in, in many, many ways want to be here. But we have limited ac- access to two jobs, to higher education, to some of those other pieces. Um, and I said when I first came here five years ago, 
this is probably this community more than any other that I've ever worked in has the most promise of within the state of California to really blossom and grow into something phenomenal. It's, it's already a great place to be. Um, but I think through education and through, uh, developing jobs within our community through, um, really bringing that entrepreneurial spirit to our kids, helping them through our programs, our CTE programs and some of those kind of things that can give them that why, and that can give them kind of that hope for that future to kind of stay here, make a good living, have that education and build our community. So no, I agree. And I'd like to see the community college and I, where I am on the faculty, um, participate in that by creating more opportunities, more pathways for people. Because I think is, is when people see pathways and not necessarily with the idea that every uh, young person has to have a college education, but there is a vocational mm-hmm. training. There's there's all kinds of things that people can do to participate in the, the life of the community in, in a variety of ways. Yeah. Um, and, and I would just, you know, this, the, it's hard to have a conversation without it somehow touching on COVID-19 and, oh, yeah. and the issues that we're having with that. But I have tried throughout this whole thing to look for silver linings and opportunities and where the changes that we have been required to make because of COVID-19 can be opportunities moving forward, even after um, whenever after may be. And I think the movement of, of jobs to remote working, the movement of college to remote classes gives us an opportunity to keep our kids. Um, And that is, you know, that is even for as long as I have been here, that has been the resource drain of Mm -hmm. our best and brightest have to go somewhere else to realize their potential. Mm -hmm. And so if we can start as a community, you know, reaching out to businesses, larger businesses and say, hey, you've just figured out that everybody doesn't have to be in the same building in a big city to get your work done. How about you hire some of our folks that can live here and work remotely and have a career, but they don't have to move to a big city and do that. Same thing with colleges. The the state university systems have been extremely slow to move to online education. Right. And so now that they've kind of been forced to, maybe that's something we can say, look, you can stay here and you can still get an education. Right. Um, well, and, and it's interesting, too, because, I mean, we've even done it as K-12. I, I know I've shared before the first real national study that came out on education came out in 1922-23. And that really formed the basis of our current educational system. So we're working in a hundred year old system that was developed around the great, you know, just before the great depression, um, in an agrarian society for families that did not have to compulsory, didn't have a compulsory attendance requirements to attend school. And it wasn't expected that every child would even go to school. And, um, we're in the, we're in the place now where we are, trying to equalize and and make learning equitable for every child to give every child that that's get them all on the same playing field get them all that same kind of start that they individually need to go forward and have really healthy productive 
lives. And, and from my perspective, I hope that that's here in Del Norte County and this becomes one of the most properest places on the West Coast, right? So, well, we're coming to the end of our time. So I have one question to leave you with. If, gov- if the governor of the state of California called you this morning and said, Don Charlene, I will do, I will grant you one wish. <laughs> I'll do, I'll do one thing as a board member. What should I do to help the educational system in California? And Don, I know that you actually sit on the, um, uh, I don't know if it's the California County board of education or if it's the California, uh, school boards association, it's the delegate assembly of the California School Boards Association. Okay, so you're on the delegate yeah. for CSBA. Yeah. Um, so, but so if they were to come and ask that question from your perspective as board member, what's one thing that you could tell the governor if you did this, it would really help us. <laughs> Cash. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I think that one of the things that I've been impressed by is. Um, just how resource poor education is in general. And I'm, I'm thinking um, not just in terms of um, the revenues that we get, but the, the overall, I mean, I I understand that it's um, the largest line item in the California budget, I believe. Um, And so there's not a lot of excess money that he could offer, but um, I think as a I, I, one of the things that I was struck by when I first got on the board was that California was, I think, 48th in the nation in terms of per pupil expenditure. Mm-hmm. And um, and as I got looking to that, it wasn't that our um, teachers aren't paid reasonably uh, in some respects. Um, it was that in other districts and other states the same number of teachers would have a third more, uh, same number of students, I'm sorry, would have a a third more teachers, a third more administrators, a third more custodians, a third more of everything. Mm -hmm. And um, that I think that what's happened is that um, everybody feels constrained by not having enough. And so um, that we're always trying to patch things together and like with this COVID uh, crisis, seeing the resources shrink is um, very disconcerting um, because I think they need to be expanding because it is such an essential function. Right. Well, you'll be happy to know that over the last 10 years, we've gone from 48th and 49th in the right. state to 42nd and 43rd. So, yeah. That's better. <laughs> I, well, and, you know, and in some ways, and I know that this everybody receives services from the state. And I think this is one of the biggest issues that I have because it's really, it pulls you in many different directions, but as the fifth largest economy in the world, we actually give less to our kids. And that's, that, that's painful when we think about that as a society. Right. And we have a 10th of the kids in the country here. Right. Yeah. Right. Charlene. So, so I don't do well with the give me one choice because I always keep thinking about, well, but there's 12 other choices that I'm going to have to give up. But um, I, I agree with, with Don on the, the money, but I would approach it a little bit differently. And I would, I would say, get rid of ADA funding. Um, the average daily attendance being your driver of how much money you get. Um, 
it it encourages a lot of energy to be focused on getting kids into their seats at school every day, whether maybe they should be sick and not be at school. Um, and I know there's there's all the studies that they point to about how if you miss so much school, you're going to be behind. But um, I think we need to to have stable funding based on how many kids are enrolled in your in your school, um, that it be flexible enough that you can put it where it's needed and that we stop focusing so much on every single day, how many kids are there and start focusing on the holistic educating our our children. So I would get rid of that. And I appreciate that, Charlene, because, you know, one of the one of the conversations that we've had over and over again, um, both in my office and other places that I've worked is <clears throat> earlier you talked about the why. Right. Why education? Why is it important? And it really puts the it really puts schools in a bad light when we're trying to have kids come to school because the why, either in reality or perceptually, becomes it's a funding issue. Mm -hmm. Get get your kid to school because the school needs the money. Mm -hmm. When in reality, it should be about let's get kids to school because education is the game changer for everybody. Mm -hmm. And and if we can shift that why because we were appropriate <laughs> appropriately funded would be nice but mm -hmm. um but if we were able to get those resources, you know, that would be a huge shift um in the work I think that that we all do um as a school staff and and a big shift hopefully in the perception that parents have in helping them discuss with their kids why education, why go to school. It's not that I'm going to get fined. It's not that I'm going to, the school's going to lose money. It's about, this is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need to move away from a punitive model and towards an incentive model. Mm -hmm. and, and and I agree. And, and one of the things that I do think is a, maybe a silver lining is that we are now in the process of reinventing school mm -hmm. in significant mm -hmm. ways. And, and that may give us an opportunity to move to different funding models and more local control. I would love to see more ability to make decisions at the local level um, and have less fewer constraints. I mean, I think that it was good that the governor uh, that the governor uh, Governor Brown reduced the influence of categoricals, right, and and went through through the um, these these other funding models, but we need more of that. So, guys, that is our time for today. I I want to thank you for for coming in again for giving up a, a chunk of time on a Friday. Um, loved hearing from you. Look forward to hearing from you over the summer. I'd like to invite each one of you to come back for another podcast to kind of just let the community get to know who you are and kind of dig into to um, more of your life as a board member. And, um, you know, I, I got to tell you, I really respect what you both bring to the school board. We've had lots of good conversations, Don, you and I, especially over the years that I've been here. Um, Charlene, you, you bring a different perspective that I love. And we've talked about some things we'd like to see change mm -hmm. coming up. And, um, you know, so uh, again, I, I, I'm really looking forward to next year. I think we are reinventing education and that's fine. We've got 30 days to do it. Um, <laughs> totally a hundred years worth of stuff that we're trying to do. Um, but, you know, as we go through, um, we just, I just want to throw out to it how much we appreciate our community during this time of COVID-19 um, helping us with, with providing that education at home 
and also just the overall support that our community has given our schools ever since I've been here. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've, I've never seen a place as large as this support schools as much as they have here. Um, and I think we are the we are a focal point in our community, and it's because our community is really behind their kids, and they want the best for every child in in Delmar County. So, um, thank you, and we look forward to having you back. Well, thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's been fun.